Thank you so much, Lila. Um and and Judith. Uh it's one of the it's one been one of those unique mornings while uh, Judith's in here playing out in the living room, like trying to stop four kids from like wrestling each other while and trying to maintain a sense of like composure and preparedness. So uh um hopefully hopefully I've managed to do that enough to be able to share some of my heart today. I love that language Lila uses in her prayer, labour of love. because um, for me that like that is that describes perfectly what um I'm wanting to do in our Sundays when, when we gather to uh to communicate something of the heart of God and uh so all the things that I that I lack my what I do know is that it is with deep affection for you all that I that I'm approaching the Lord to say, God, what is it you want to say to us? So, um, I love that language, Lila. Thank you for, thank you for praying for me and f- uh, leading our time off um, this morning. Um, I I uh, for those that are part of our family WhatsApp group, you'll know the direction that I'd love to take us in this morning. Um, some reflections around First John. And I think, I hope that it is, uh, it will follow a bit of, of a thread of what I shared two weeks ago and even building off of some of the stuff that Puma shared with us last last Sunday. Um, and just to say, really grateful for uh, for Puma, for what he brought, with, brought to us last Sunday morning. Um, so... Uh, I suppose if you have your Bible and you just want to keep it open, there will just be places that I'll be uh, I'll be directing your attention to throughout the next 20-25 minutes or so. Um, I suppose essentially what what I'm wanting to communicate is found in three of three of the most beautiful words potentially in the Scripture, and uh, those three words are found most explicitly here and. A couple of times in First John chapter four, um, those three words are "God is love." God is love, and it is one of the, it's, a, it's those three words, and maybe you're a bit like me, and it can so easily roll off the tongue. It can be something that we just have have heard for years. It's something that we just so readily assume that we can miss the the weight of it the wonder of it that god is love he's not he's not love plus anything else he is love every other characteristic every other attribute of god is is an essence it, it flows from this this one characteristic this main characteristic this is who he is god is love not and anything else and this was again we over the last I think we've touched on it on and off on our Sunday mornings. We've really tried to do it in our midweeks as we've looked at First Peter, going back, delving back a couple of thousand years to see the what these words, how they would have been heard many years ago. And so sadly, this this these three beautiful, uh, world changing, um, statement. Uh, can we can just dismiss it as head knowledge that we've known for so long? This would have been revolutionary. This was actually outrageous in the first century. 
the Jewish people that were listening in, the people, just people living around the Roman, the Roman Empire, that this would have been outrageous, that God is love. Because all of the other gods, all of the understanding of the gods, of the pagan gods, had been they, 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 were, they were jealous, cranky gods that needed appeased. They were distant gods and they were always cross. They needed someone to, a sacrifice or a gift to appease them because they were angry and they were distant. So this idea in the first century that this God, that Yahweh, that the, 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 the great I am, that he was a God of love was outrageous. And, um, and so by the time that we, are, we get to 1 John, Again, if you've been following through the last couple of weeks in our, as we've reflected on some of what's going on at the time that Peter wrote his letter, you'll know that this was a time in history that Peter and Paul had been executed. Peter and Paul had been executed under the orders of Nero, this brutal, brutal uh, leader who, for fun it seems, was executing Christians in the most horrific ways. So Peter and Paul executed under the, uh, under the orders of Nero and many others, hundreds of other followers of Jesus um, lost their lives, executed brutally in the same sort of fashion. And you think to yourself as you're aware of what's taking place in history and you begin to see the theme that runs uh, so clearly through John's letter here that there does not seem to be much evidence of God is love. This God that these that the, the, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus have given their lives to, there doesn't seem to be much evidence that God is love. But John, he opens up his letter by saying, this is what we've seen, this is what we've heard, this is what we've touched and experienced. And he's, he's seen some awful stuff. He's heard some horrendous things. He's witnessed it. He's been around it. But he is insistent. He is insistent. He does not waver from God is love. And I would love it that we would, that we would catch that afresh this morning. It might be really difficult, especially if you've grown up in church your whole life. You've maybe heard that so often. But this is remarkable. This, is, this was so new. It is so, and it remains a uniquely Christian idea. And it will, it will be the thing. I am convinced it's the only thing that will change the world. Puma talked a wee bit last week uh, about um, the, the way that we're going to impact the world. The way that we're going to have any influence at all is by how radical we are. And for me, there is nothing more radical, nothing more countercultural, nothing more boundary crossing than this love of God. And so it's that that I just want us to, to reflect on for a few moments today. Again, you might be familiar with some of the different words that the different greek words that are used for love and uh, again you could be familiar with this greek word agape this, this most commonly known is that this idea of unconditional love 
another another way of putting it is that it is the the will to work for the good of someone else the will to work for the good of someone else is 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 an it's a it's what this agape love looks like in day to day it's how we're going to impact the world this will to work for the good of someone else it's other centered it's boundary crossing it's radical and it's the radical love of god that is going to be the thing that i think the only thing that will change the world and so just for a moment there's so many places that we could go to today um, again my heart is that we would um, some of the things that i would point us towards this morning would be uh, it would just open up really good conversation and so let me go let's go to first john 3 verse 16 um, this is how we know what love is so john is giving us an example a really good example the 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 the, the greatest definition of what love looks like this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers um i just want to reflect on that verse but i do think it's worth continuing that if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him how can the love of god be in him what a question that john is asking what a, that question it's still it still feels as uh, as confronting today as it was um, 2,000 years ago. If we have material possessions and see our brother in need and have no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And again, I think this verse reflects again something of what Puma shared with us last week. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. But just come back a moment to verse 16. And I, and I feel like I've never seen this before until the last couple of days. Because it feels like, like, it almost feels like John is breaking from, uh, from expected logic. Like the logical response to what John is saying here, to me, seems to be, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, now you, Go and lay down your life for him. And that would be uh, an expected logical uh, theme, I think, that, that John would run with. But I just found myself caught, stopped in the tracks the last couple of days when uh, John is saying, Jesus laid down his life for us. So what's our response? So we ought to lay down our lives for others. We ought to lay down our lives. And I think that the, how, how, Paul, how John moved from the, the expected logic, the expected logical argument is really worth our, uh, our time to consider. Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So, so instead of saying Jesus has loved us, so we ought to love him in return. What John is saying, Jesus has loved us, so we ought to love others. 
And even in this verse here, we, we see that Jesus' love is embodied. His love is embodied. It's demonstrated. It's something that is shown. It's something that is displayed. He shows us what love is. That's why the incarnation is so remarkable that he took on flesh, came and dwelt among us. God demonstrated his love for us. When we were so far away from him, he still came close and he came full of grace and full of truth. He shows us what love is. I've just been thinking about this line from Scott McKnight over the last week or so when he said about, speaks about the local church and says the local church always performs the gospel it proclaims. And that's what embodied love does. It performs the gospel that it proclaims. Again, to go back to some of what Puma shared with us last week, um, we, we can so often be so concerned about the message that we are preaching, about what it is that we are proclaiming. But I think we have no right. I think we lose our right. We lose our authority. We lose our trustworthiness to proclaim something that we are not performing the performance the demonstration of love is what allows our proclamation we perform the gospel that we proclaim we embody his love we show in the same way that jesus shows what his what love is we do likewise and again, it's a, it's a line, and I think I maybe, I maybe lightened it by saying it was a wee bit cheesy, but actually it's really more powerful than I maybe give it credit for the last time I said it. And as Puma was sharing last Sunday, I couldn't help but think people, as Puma said, that the world, the world doesn't need any more knowledge. And I think he's right. And the world doesn't, um, the world doesn't need more knowledge. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think as much as we have our polished gospel presentations, and as much as we think that that is of vital importance, we don't, we'll not get an audience, we'll not, we'll not get any traction in conversation if we're not performing, demonstrating the love of Jesus. And I think how we care, it's how we care and it's how we love that, um, that gives us the right, the authority to proclaim this beautiful, stunning, glorious gospel, good news, truth. Um, go, back one, go back one place, one chapter to uh, two verse nine, um, if you can. Again, I suppose I'm just like, I suppose I'm summarizing so much of what John is saying here, pulling out a few things that I think are important for us, I think they're important for us um, in the moment that we find ourselves in. Uh, John says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. And sometimes I think I've read this verse, and maybe you have as well, 
you've read this verse and you think, well, I don't hate anybody. Like I've had conversations with people. I don't hate, I don't hate anybody from any other community. I don't hate anybody from the LGBT community. I don't hate anybody from, from the, a different political community. I don't hate anybody. And I think sometimes we say that and we let ourselves off the hook a wee bit. We let ourselves off the hook a wee bit too easily when it comes to this idea. Because the, because the idea of hate, what the Greek is, I can't remember the word, but the, the, what this means here is to disregard, is to dismiss, or is to uh, disrespect or treat as unimportant. And so we might get away with saying that we don't hate our brothers and sisters or we don't hate people that think differently, that look differently, that view things differently than us. We might say that we don't hate them, but I do think there is a challenge for us and I do think it's worthwhile us asking the question. I think for me, I know that, I, I know that I'm guilty of dismissing as of less importance, of disregarding their, another a viewpoint, another worldview. I know, I do know I'm guilty of disrespecting those that I think are, are wrong. Um, and so I think that's what John is challenging here. If you, if you claim to be in the light, but disregard, devalue, dismiss as unimportant a brother or a sister, then you are still in the darkness. Paul, John is holding, not holding back here. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our, again in our midweek. 1 Peter 2 verse 17 that the message version says, treat everyone you meet with dignity. It has to be our default position. And I think John would, would make that really clear to us. The next verse, verse 10, it almost seems to be saying that there, there is nothing. Whenever we love, if you love, there is nothing in you to make you stumble. So it almost feels like John is saying, if you love well, all is well. If you're loving people, if you're loving your brother, you're living in the light and there is nothing in you to make you stumble. And again, we can have conversation around this, but it feels like John is saying, if you love well, then all is well. I'm totally convinced of this. I think I've been convinced of it. The, the, the closer I've engaged with the words and the ways of Jesus, when I feel like I'm catching Paul's heart in his letters and think it's clear here, crystal clear in John's letter, that devotion to God, devotion to God is demonstrated and authenticated by how we treat people. God's love for us requires us to love those that God loves with this radical, self-denying, other-centered love. The love that he has for us requires us to love those that he loves. I couldn't, again, I couldn't help but be struck by, by Puma's challenge to us that we don't build relationships with agenda. Pima spoke, I think, personally around 
how he's seen that or experienced that. People, followers of Jesus, that build relationship with a hidden agenda. And I and I do I, I have done that I think. I think I've been on the I think I've experienced it. I think I've been on the other end of it as well. And I think it's incredibly ugly. I think it's incredibly degrading. I think it's the opposite of the ways that we see lived out by Jesus. And I and I I know the Puma touched on it, but I feel really strongly about it, especially as I've been reading through First John. We come to relationships with people with any other agenda than to demonstrate the love of God to them. Then it's it's not in the ways of Jesus I I want to contend. I think it's degrading when we build relationship with people for our own hidden agenda. First John 4 verse 11 again just continues to give us an insight into the what John this is this is revelation this is stuff that he has picked up from following the ways of Jesus. Francis uh, touched on it this morning as we gathered around for communion. They gathered around the table and they, they reclined, they relaxed with each other. We're told that John, this John, lay into the bosom of Jesus. He, he was so comfortable, he'd so caught uh, this, the love of Jesus. He calls himself the one, the disciple who, who Jesus loved. And he's, becoming, he's become greatly aware that to withhold love after experiencing it and understanding it and having revelation of it, that to then withhold that is the very definition of hypocrisy. To have experienced the love of God, it's a, he says in verse 11 of chapter 4, uh, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in case we've missed it, he wants us to hear it again. Verse 19, or verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot, cannot love God who he has not seen. And so the challenge for us is, and I think all of the whatabouts, like when it comes to, well, what about this? What if they behave like this? What if they do this? I think all of those things come out as we build relationship. It can't. It's not. It can't be. It can't be the entry point. And we so want to justify ourselves. I so want to justify myself at times. I so want to qualify things. I so want to ask the question. Well, where's the line? What about? What if? I want to. I feel like there's times I want to justify my prejudices. I want to justify my biases. But John's really clear. If you don't love. Those that you can see, a brother or a sister who whom you can who you can see, you cannot. I, I, feel, I feel like I've read that word for the first time this week and be so being so provoked by it. If you cannot love those that are right in front of you, you you actually cannot. John is saying you cannot love God. That's a that's a such a confrontational statement. It feels. And so for John here, for Paul, for Jesus, loving God, or loving people, sorry, loving people is 
loving God. And so refusing to actively, and again, I think this is where we push into the conversation a wee bit further around the table or on the phone or on our WhatsApp video or whatever it is that we, how we communicate with people, refusing to actively love a brother or sister is equal to refusing to love God. It's equal. To refuse to actively love a brother or sister is equal to refusing to love God. Let's chat about that. Again, with no sense of guilt, no sense of condemnation. Don't like, this leads to con- condemnation. It's not of Jesus. But I do think it's worth us refining our, one another. Under this new covenant, we celebrated it once again. It should never get old, this new covenant. Blood poured out so, so that we could be reconciled to God. Under this new covenant, we do not love God and neighbours. We love God by loving our neighbours. We love God by loving our neighbours. And so let me finish with this. Just a, a personal example. And I know it can be a bit trite whenever we try to use our our personal example as parents to, in some way to compare to the nature of God. Like the, the, the examples fall short so often. But I was just, as I was reflecting on this last night and, and scribbling down, uh, scribbling stuff out, adding stuff in, as I so often do, I found myself just thinking about conversations that me and Judith would have uh, late at night. And the conversations, doesn't happen every night, but the, there's moments where the kids have been in bed for 30, 40 minutes. And... Um, well past their bedtime they have to get up the next morning and do their homeschooling and all of that it's really important that they get a good night's sleep but there has been especially over lockdown there's been moments where we have looked at each other about 11 o'clock the eyes hanging out of us and our boys are still chatting to each other they're still making each other laugh and of course there's moments throughout the day maybe whenever there's other people around where they'll fight and they'll wrestle and they'll give off about each other. But even if I'm not being moved by it right now as I think about it, like they are, they, whenever they talk to each other and they laugh, they make each other laugh. Like honestly, I've t- there's times we've looked at each other, there's, there's nothing better than that. Like there is nothing more beautiful when brother loves brother. And Caleb and Jada probably kill me for saying this. I almost, I almost hope that they're distracted at the moment. But Jada came out of the came out into the hallway um during the week and she said to Kate, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, it was after dinner, it, there was nothing going on, turned to Caleb and said, Caleb, I love you. And Caleb returned it. Caleb said, he mightn't say it to everybody else, but he said to his wee sisters. He said, I love you. And Jada was like, Really? Like, do you really? And I watched on at this moment, and there is honestly there is nothing better. I could I don't think you will ever give me a feeling that will top whenever my whenever I see my children love one another. And I know it's a it's an example that pales in comparison, but it was one of those moments that I think like how much the father loves it when he sees us value and appreciate. Because the flip side of the coin is. The flip side of the coin is that there is nothing worse than if you 
anybody who's listening, like if you were to, what we've looked at in First John verse two, chapter two, verse nine, if you were to, to dismiss my children as unimportant, if you were to disregard my children in some way, I cannot think of anything worse. I cannot think of anything more relational threatening than if you were to disregard or dismiss my children as unimportant or of less value. And so no matter, no matter how much you would praise me or no matter how much you would read my book or no matter, even if you give, and, and you can test this if you want and try it, even if you were to give me 10% of all that you own, if you were to give me 10% of your wage, it wouldn't matter. It, the, all of that wouldn't make up for it. So praise me, worship me, read my book, offer me 10% of all of your stuff. It won't make up for you mistreating or dismissing my children. And there was just something about that that I just thought, like, it's a small, small insight into how God feels about how we treat one another. And so if you want to if you want to love me really well, I think it'll be in how you love and treat my children. I love how we've had other people around the table in our house uh, over lockdown. For those that don't know, we're foster parents and it's allowed. And um, and so how my how my children have then loved those that have come in, how they've treated them as family, how then they've seen them as an equal value part of each one of the people around this dinner table has been one of the most beautiful things for me as well. And so there's a small insight, I think, that we, if you want to love God, you don't love God and our neighbours, we love God by loving our neighbours. Devotion to him is demonstrated and authenticated by how we treat people. And as we demonstrate and show people how we care for them and how we value them, we, we have just the most natural way to begin to present and talk about Jesus as we show him, as we show his love. And I could, I could keep going here because there's just something about the beautiful, radical nature of the love of Jesus that you, that once you begin to talk about it, it it's, uh, it's something that you want to just keep talking about. And, and so my encouragement to us all this week is that we would go out in whatever way that we can, within safe distances, within all of that, that we would go out and radically, Judith has led us in the song this morning, we would recklessly love people this week. So that's my challenge to you, simple challenge. Well, sounds simple, probably harder than it sounds at times. But let's go, let's go and do it, church. Let's go and do it, family. Let's go and radically, recklessly love people uh, really well this week. Thanks again for the chance to share with you and I hope it provokes conversation and um, if it does let me know that would be really good as we as next week we we have had three weeks and so next week we'll pull all these threads together in conversation and uh, I make sure we're all um, at pace with what we feel God is challenging us with together as a church family so have a great day thank you so much thanks again Lila thank you Neil